Good everyone, welcome to SciFind, where we find and uncover interesting details about psychology and some interesting people uh, and successful people from back in history. I'm here with a couple of people from With You With Me. Uh, we've got Tom Larder here to my left, the Chief Customer Success Officer. How are you doing, Tom? Pretty good. Thanks. And Tom Moore, our CEO and co-founder. What's going on, mate? The Toms. The Toms. There's too many Toms. <laughs> so what we're kicking off here today is a podcast which is really going to try to uncover a lot of information around psychology and try to put in a bit of layman's terms around what it means for people uh, and what it means in the relevance today to a lot of successful people that we're looking at. What are you looking forward to, Lada, when we're kicking off this podcast? I think the psychology is quite interesting for us as a company because our sole purpose was solving underemployment and helping people get jobs. And there's a big part of um, helping people discover what they're going to be good at and then helping companies realize why they um, should hire people based on that. So I'm quite passionate about the psychology aspect of things. So I'm excited to talk about you know some of the things that people don't know. And Tom, you, you came up with the idea of doing something that's looking at this psychology. What was the brain? brain why did you want to do that? I think everyone's interested in psychology. I find it really unique that um, we had a call yesterday where people think that aptitude doesn't count, but really um, aptitude is already taken care of in that organization, so it doesn't count there, but it counts everywhere. Um, people have this unique truth finding experiment where i think psychology is read its head so you know where it sort of rears its head at the moment socially is in dating uh and i think that's where it really kicks off the other thing where i find that psychology is kicking off is <coughs> child management and bringing up children so it starts to really become a much larger and more complex problem and the problem is, is everyone's trying to figure out who they are. And what we've found is that there's actually a lot of ways that you can figure out who you are written by people that have already worked it out. Uh, and I've, I find that that's really interesting. And what I, what, I do, what I do find interesting with psychology is that everyone seems to be like a, I guess like an armchair general uh, <laughs> where they think they know. Uh, everyone's got an opinion. Well, I think everyone thinks they know I don't, I, I've what, done my Myers-Briggs, so I know everything about psychology. Well, I think people think they know what they... That means that if I've done a psychological test, uh, they think that what make they know they think they know what makes them great and they think they know themselves. Mm. And the, the real problem is, is that no one takes it the, the, the next layer and asks, yeah, well, I did that psychological test and I got this result, why? Mm. What I find interesting is I think... Um, more people are trying to figure out why uh, and it's led to a deeper understanding of truths and truths that we've probably ignored like if you look at uh, the bet one of the most interesting things is the rise of um, Jordan Peterson and, and it's sort of attributed to this five factor model where the most interesting appeal that appeal that he has is he takes common truths like be a good sport as a rule in life, but then explains it through a number of psychological theories. Mm. And that's what people find interesting. It's like, well, that ah, that's why we do that thing and here's the science to back it. 
And then you've got the other side of it where people think that psychology science is pseudoscience and I don't think that's the case. So I think it's a really unique topic because it allows you to deal with it um, at an individual level. I think it's a timely topic because um, with, the, with the use of things like YouTube, people are trying to find out why certain rules exist and virtues exist. And as the need for Western religion, I think, or the want for Western religion decreases, things like psychology uh, is, a, is sort of replacing it somewhat. Like, uh, and how do I explain that? People are looking to more how philosophical ideas have come together, which ones they like, and are using that to drive their well-being and community. And I think that's all related to the rise of people trying to understand why they are certain ways, how they can fit in, uh, and it's driven by being connected by so many people. So rather than me going, hey, I sort of like Luke uh, and I can have a beer with him at the tab every Friday afternoon, I can speak to one of my friends in Washington, D.C. who I might have a better relationship with. So I think that connecting more people has also brought the rise to, why would I waste time with people that I don't want to hang around? And here's some of the reasons why. And it also raises the question, do I really, really fit in with the people I'm around geographically um which i think people are i think that psychology can go a long way to answering it and i people i think people are using it as a tool is trying to understand where they fit and uh, for me i think it's um really really interesting to have conversations about what makes people great and all of these theories exist and some of them are very well documented and there's a lot of empirical evidence that it can work uh, and I think what I guess what I'm excited about exposing is um, taking what people think about themselves and showing how they can use some of these tools to enhance themselves or understand themselves in a better way. And one of the things that we'll run through is the with you and me testing. I know that both of you have been pretty integral to building over the last few years. And we'll come to that in a second. But before we kick off, I just want to run through what we're going to cover off today is really looking at one psychological theory and the people behind it who helped build it. So the one we're covering off today is the big five factor model, as you mentioned before, Tom, which is pretty integral to the with you and me test. Then we'll roll into someone who's a successful individual uh, as judged by society, I'd imagine, and try to build out what does their big five look like? Who are they as an individual? And how do they fit into the grand scheme of things? And what's the traits of that individual that makes them successful? So each week we're going to cover off a different psychological theory and the individuals behind it. But this week we're going to really kick off with the Big Five. And uh, Lard, do you want to tell us a bit about what the Big Five is? Yeah, so the, the Big Five is quite interesting. So the, the Big Five are actually extroversion, openness, um, neuroticism, agreeableness, um, and conscientiousness. Uh, and there's a variety of different ways that people remember them. Uh, ocean. Yeah, people like to use ocean. Uh, it was probably made a little bit more famous of late by Jordan Peterson, as Tom talked about. Um, more so that he added a few things in terms of six kind of aspects to it and then tried to commercialize it in a way that was used for, um, you know, the common user and in employment focus. So people kind of know those videos from YouTube. Really, it dates back to like the 1930s. Um, and what you've pretty much got the easiest way to think about it is, a, is a, an initial theory that someone said, well, these people were trying to figure out the traits and personas of how people behaved. And they figured there had to be a kind of quantifiable list and people had made a list um, <clears throat> and it ranged from everywhere of like the top 16 personality profiles, which you would have seen probably um, right through to, a, you know, a hundred odd different traits. Somewhere and they got about four and a half thousand when they were actually yeah. living out. And they were just trying to just, and as it got distilled and distilled, 
they landed on kind of the top five or six and different psychologists, you know, through the 40s, 50s, right through to maybe the 80s, kind of stopped after that. They kind of narrowed it down to the top five and six and they were pretty much the same types of traits. And then Costa and McRae came out and said, we think these are the top five, which are the big five that I just said. And then everybody set out to kind of disprove it, which is pretty much what happens in academic literature anyway. Like you put out a paper, people have to disprove it to get a new theory. Um, and really nobody could in a really tangible way. And then the, the five factors kind of stuck in psychology, um, I guess, research and theory formally um, since about, you know, the mid to late 80s. And that's kind of where it come from. What's interesting about it is it's, it's your persona as a personality. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't about your strengths and weaknesses. It was these are the core functions that a human has, i.e. you're conscientious, which means you're likely to be really good at doing structured things or you know, extroversion, which is your positive emotional traits. Everybody has extroversion. It's just about how much of extroversion you have, whereas not everybody is a good leader as a trait, for example. So the five factors really represent the core personalities of every human. It's just about how much of each you have. What do you think, Tom, the difference between the big five model, how is it different to say your Clinton Strengths Finders or your uh, Myers-Briggs tests that a lot of people would have done? Well, I don't know how to answer that question academically. <laughs> um, the, the key difference is that it's not helping you identify your strengths and putting into brackets. It's showing you where you sit within a spectrum of clearly defined uh, and scientific measures to say you sit here, here, and here. And that's the key difference. So, you know, it doesn't say you sit here, here, and here. Um, you have these things. I I don't know. I, I find the way that they built the big five pretty weird. Did you find that weird? I hadn't done the, I hadn't done the background history of it ever before. Did you find it weird that they focused it on certain principles first? Like I'm pretty sure neuroticism was one of the focuses first. Forever, for ages. So when you look down like, that, yeah. That's fucking insane. People had that's, emotional control, emotionality, the, the anxiety. Thing, yeah. So if you think about that context, right? And if you think about why they would have been asked to figure out that one first. Yeah, it's because humanity's just sad all the time. Well, like, yeah. So there's two parts of it, I think. And I sort of want to break this down because I found this pretty interesting how they built out what, how they built out the traits that they did in the sequence that they did. Mm. But how we don't, the way, and then taking the way we think about it to productivity now. And then it's weird. So, well, the first one is like neuroticism, right? Which is like, all right, effectively, there's this old age old thing. Why am I depressed? I want to understand why I'm depressed. And if yeah. I'm a creative person, which honestly, most professors and academics likely are, I really want to understand why I'm depressed. But there's probably the more obvious reason why they got asked to do it. Why are my employees depressed? Why is everyone unhappy? I don't want to employ only unhappy people. I don't want to be married to an unhappy person. Why am I unhappy in my marriage? And I, I like to think that like, and that's not true of me, by the way. But I like to, I like to think- Shout out to Chelsea. Yeah. I'd like to sort of put a really simple adage on it. I don't really get why they focus on that, but you can see the reasons why. Because the way I look at, the way that neuroticism still uses, it doesn't, show you that I found the value of it. And I found the, like, the value of it in two areas. One is that it's a key trait of people that are creative within a certain mm. boundary. Um, and secondly, it's a key trait of people that understand emotional intelligence. Like what a, it's a, the, the ability to have the highs and lows 
and respond to stimulus and creates emotional highs and lows is like one of the defining things of every creative person that I've met. And secondly, if you think about it, if you have such a spectrum of emotion and feelings, you're, the odds are that you will be able to relate to someone else who's having that spectrum of emotional feelings are higher. But the way that they've built it was almost like, oh, we want to figure out why people are upset and why I'm upset. And then they went from there. I don't know if I'm right, but I found that very interesting. Well, I think it's probably as well the curiosity. If you think the early days when they were talking about this, all they really had to go off was observing the way that people interacted. And they're like, why are you sad about that? Why are you angry about that? Why don't you care? Well, it's like pretty interesting. And then I think one of the next ones was openness. Like it was like, Mm. I I think people that are sad um, are actually probably more open to experience, which leads to more failure. So they're sadder. So creatives are more open to experience, which leads to them being sadder because you fail more because you, you can't get it right if you're super, super open to everything. Like I could get, you know, I'm significantly open to experience. If I see a half pipe and a skateboard, I would just have a crack at it mm. with no skills, which is stupid. But but you're curious it, about it. No, well, yeah. Or like, you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't look that hard. hard. Yeah. It, well, it doesn't <laughs> seem too hard. But wait till you're about to do the drop. That shit's terrifying. Uh, the, I guess so I guess for people who haven't heard about those traits, you know, neuroticism is your emotional stability. So mm-hmm. if you're highly neurotic, you are typically emotionally unstable, um, which means you react more emotionally to things, whether they're positively or negative on you. And it takes you longer to recover from things, whether mm-hmm. they're positive or negative. Um, but openness experience is your willingness to try new activities. And then that looks at things like imagination, artistic experience, intellect, liberalism. So they're the things in particular that Jordan Peterson pulled out of the big five, which was the six aspects. He refers to them as aspects that sit within each category. So even though you might be super high in openness to experience, so might I, it could be in completely different areas. Yeah, we, could actually, we could actually talk about it. There's, yeah. there's more layers. Yeah. I, 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 I want to get too deep. I, I used to, the point that I sort of want to make is why they build it that way. Hmm. It's a pretty interesting way of build it versus how we're applying it. Well, on that, what made you put that into our With You With Me testing? So for those that don't know, With You With Me's testing solution consists of pretty much four different aspects. One is your aptitude testing. Uh, really understanding what's your ability to learn a new skill. And that's pretty important when we're trying to train and retrain people in technology careers because it's seeing, are you actually going to be able to do this in this new career? Uh, the second would be around your learning style. How do you like to learn? Uh, the third's around leadership and your psychometrics. But the fourth is using the big five to figure out the culture fit in an organisation. What was it that when we were coming up with the testing that made you want to put big five as part of that? Wanted to put people in different coloured shirts. <laughs> And we'll uh, talk about that as well at the end with the uh, archetypes. But. I don't... It's the... We tried other psychometric testing and it kept putting people in a box. Uh, and sometimes I didn't agree with those boxes. Mm. Like, you know, you take something like extended disc, which we don't use for matching at all. We just use to show how you can come across and communicate, which is interesting. Like, I use it... We use it more as a tool to say, this is what people generally think about you based off how you're coming across. So it's like, um, one of the things I think that's bad about extended disc is, uh, Tom, you're a DI personality. I'm like, okay. And they go two things after that. You are, you know, within the top one, like the 1% of the population that's a DI personality. Okay. So you're probably going to be a CEO. Really? 
Yeah, I never liked the single adjectives. What, what do you mean I'm going to be a CEO? Like, my aptitude hasn't been assessed. Mm. And number two, now that you put me in that bracket, every guy and every person in the room is like, ooh, he's totalitarian. Like, they're like, ooh, they're looking at you going, or you're going to be this type of salesperson. So It's I, too easy to judge based well, on single we word don't use, adjectives. One of the things that we've learned is not to use personality strengths to match people to careers. Mm. The big five is used to match you to the type of work that you should do. Mm. So no matter what career it is, um, really my personality strengths sit in creative work. I actually can work for people mm. as much as everyone doesn't want to believe it. And I've actually had some pretty good bosses that were probably okay with my performance. Um, but the, the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is that uh, why we use the big five, it doesn't put you in those boxes. It says, here are the five known aspects of traits by people that are way smarter than me. And what we found was really interesting was, well, it helps me understand me a lot more. Um, and, it, and it gives me, it allows me my own tool to see how people react to me. So, you know, and I was saying this before, we started the big the big thing that i find is that you know i i for a long time i couldn't understand why one of my good friends would keep getting invited to everyone's weddings i'm like this guy doesn't do anything he doesn't like help people move is it luke no he doesn't like help people move you know he sort of makes people laugh like he's a bit of a larrikin and you know I just work and everyone's like, yeah, you know, that guy just takes it easy, right? Like he just, he's just real relaxed. He's just really agreeable and agreeable people are, are liked because they don't get up in a room and confront the real issue. That doesn't mean they're not smart. It just means that that's why he's getting invited to everyone's wedding. Like hmm. they're harmless and not, more to the point, they're not even harmless. Harmless people that are fun loving are fun to be around. So, so how does that work in a work environment then? So that's one thing to get invited to lots of weddings, but is agreeable I guess the a trait that you're looking for? Yeah, I might just finish the point though. Um, why we picked the big five is really, really simple. It doesn't put you in a box and it helps you understand yourself. And if you can understand yourself, you can work out the type of jobs, like the type of work that you should do. Whether it's, I need to be in an environment that's structured or I need to you know, be in an environment that's, that's creative or I need to be in something that's midway. So you work out what type of team that you should join based off their structure and the, the hierarchy that they've set up. Some people like less, some people like more. Um, and we've, we've started to do that. Uh, and that's the, the definitive advantage. The other thing is that there's a lot more, uh, I would say empirical academic evidence that suggests that the big five is more valuable um, across the board as a personality test than anything else. So a lot of, on the point around the agreeableness, well, let's look at all five. You've done a lot of work around what makes high performers and what's the sort of results that you need in different environments. Mm. At With You and Me is a very different environment. It's a startup, it's a fast-growing culture. What are the types of things that we're looking for when we're trying to find executives and top, top performers in the big five? Yeah, so the number one trait that makes a great employee is conscientiousness. So if you're going to look for anything, the first thing you do is go and look at how conscientious is someone because that is the mark of a good employee. So that is... Um, you are you take accountability for your actions you're willing to you're more willing to be hardworking by nature and you know what you want to achieve things um, so that's always a primary thing that we look at here but in general typically if you have higher conscientiousness you're going to be better an employee in most roles uh, the next thing you would look at is um, 
openness to experience in a place like this, particularly because we're fast growth startup. So new ideas, new products, um, not just creating them, but also being able to, you know, Tom creates them all the time. I don't create them, but having enough openness to experience to be like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go along for the ride. So that's really powerful in a startup fast growth environment. Um, and then to be honest, I would say the other three are, are pretty marginal, depending on what role yeah. you have inside that organization. Well, I, I think what we've found is that the most valuable are, um, for, for us is, uh, I would just add extra version just mm. because um, you have to work quickly with teams and be get it the easiest way to do those things quickly is to actually get energy off working with people not not wanting not 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 avoiding working with people uh but the ones that we've found that are valuable for companies though uh if you, and this is what i bring back to my point before about I, I find it interesting that they went that way with their testing and then got to this result mm. um which is they're pretty much the way that the testing was built it was like i'm going to help people understand themselves and then conscientiousness at the end just like this is the actual one that says that you're... Um, saying they were really conscientious people that built the test. Like. Well, no, no, what I'm saying is just like they almost had to do it at the grassroots level and go, now that you understand why you're upset, now, you're now that you understand um, why people, you don't know how to speak to people because they're disagreeable or super agreeable and then you deal with passiveness or you know aggressiveness or whatever you want to talk about. Mm. Uh, now that you understand that you don't actually, you're not actually that open to experience, so a lot of the stuff you're saying is bullshit. We're gonna hit you with the one thing that recognizes you as productive in the world of work. So right now, if you're conscientious, it is hands down the tool that, it, that, is, that will show that you're successful. Mm. Um, if we were, if we were uh, a, I guess, a, a, a world economy, like if we, if we were a world that was a big resort and the currency was your ability to have a unique talent, conscientiousness wouldn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but the sheer not, fact of the matter output. is yeah. there is a game and there are a series of games and there are a series of championships. Mm. And you're not here to just play and win one game. Life is a game like is a series of championships. And if the the only thing that you do have is conscientiousness, the only other thing that we know is that you have to be above a minimum level of aptitude to actually be able to play the game as well. So mm -hmm. there is a subpart of the population that can't compete just based off their ability to of cognitive process ability. So I, I find it interesting. Uh, what we found interesting is that you can do, you can do employee management or we can improve product productivity is a better way of saying it by focusing just on improving conscientiousness, improving openness to experience and help people manage their neuroticism and one of the big things that i've found is that i don't know how many people are lying about their level of neuroticism on their test mm. i would say that it's much higher than than they're doing because they're doing it like a testing that's an employment test i reckon it would be much higher if you were testing people outside employment and then neuroticism would be much higher i think there is way more un unregulated emotion oh sorry when i say unregulated people don't know how to deal with their emotion just due to the sheer nature of how we've built social media and information overload. So like the sheer way that we conduct relationships, it's much easier to get neurotic. So you can have a much more drastic response to your partner's behavior who might've made a simple mistake 
just to the simple fact that if you wanted to speak to your partner 200 years ago and you didn't live with them, you would have to write them a letter. Hmm. And that could take seven days to get there. So rather than seeing someone like their post and go, huh, like looking across the room going, It's harder to the, judge people. Well, <laughs> what I'm saying is that you you have, the, I would say that the, the information the, the information overload that's happening is creating a more neurotic people base, which is why you're seeing growth in like well-being programs that you didn't... Hmm. Like, I don't remember seeing well-being programs when I was 14. Hmm. Like, I and I think I was reading and, and watching enough. Like, I didn't just get to 30 and go... Hmm. Discover the well-being Every magazines. fucking <laughs> third person in a Facebook ad is telling me about how to make an online business to improve my well-being. What? That wasn't a thing. That's like, you didn't walk down the street. I mean, at least 60% of the message I get on LinkedIn are saying, oh, is your well-being okay for business yeah, startup I, founders? Yeah, so what, what, I, what I find interesting is that um, that neuroticism, if you help people nail it and lower it, um, and that's, that's been, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges we've had. What do you think though? Because you don't lower it all the way. You don't want it. You want the EQ. No, you're, you're a bit of a robot at that I point, then, aren't you? I think. Well, I think that's right. I'm like you think about neuroticism, you actually do need a lower level of neuroticism from the simple fact that you actually want people just to turn up to work every day. Yeah. Like there's like, real basic things that like highly emotional people aren't that consistent, which is not great for an employee base. Are there jobs though that would be good? Well, so I was going to say like, you know, if you were running a temp workforce in hospitality, you mm. want some reliability that people are going to turn up to work. But if you had a super mature business that can handle some fluctuation of people not having to be there on time to deliver said outcome, maybe you could handle it. So yes, absolutely. I think it's applicable. I just think that, I think that if we didn't have so much information and we had better leadership, people wouldn't be so neurotic. But I think they're smart enough to do an employee test and say that they're not. The EQ thing's interesting too though. Yeah. I don't think people realize, neurotic's such a harsh word for the big five, which I always found interesting. When you say it, people have a negative connotation to it. Yeah. Um, which I always found very interesting working with clients. But really it's, you, could, you should think EQ. Mm, but yeah. I guess though, would there be a scenario where being high in neuroticism and low in conscientiousness would actually be good? Not in not, a work environment. Not, not, in a, not in a work environment, to be honest. Can't yeah. think of any work environment where it would not, be? Not really at all. It's like you don't like doing things and you're highly emotional. Well, the mm. problem is, is like, okay, let's say that you're highly emotional, right? And let's say that you're a rapper or a country singer. Every fucking country song is about some girl Break they let, they let yeah. down and, <laughs> and there's, there's a huge there's, there's always a reason, in it there's a logical <laughs> reason why the girl is breaking up with them like you let them down like Johnny Cash's songs like pretty much are all about him letting people down the, the, the point though is that the access to information the people can be super conscientious and creative and people listen to like the top Something like if there were 10,000 songs, you're listening to half of them. And most, like 90% or something, something it, most people that get listened to are less than 1% of the, the music that sits on uh, Spotify. So mm. The top 1% gets listened to more than the rest of the 99. Mm. Well, yeah, I think that's just... So you can't just, you can't not be conscientious anymore. Mm. You won't get heard. Well, yeah, yeah, correct. You've got to break through all these people that that you didn't exist. Like you've gone from okay, I want to listen to music. I'm gonna buy a CD. I'm gonna turn on the radio. 
to, or I'm going to go to see a live band, right? It's getting harder and harder to see a live band because the monetary model doesn't sustain the level of practice of the quality that people improve. So, you know, good luck getting paid gigs consistently enough to fund it, right? So the only people that can really break through at a quite a young age, which significantly limits someone's ability. So you have to get great very, very quickly, right? And then the second sort of thing is, well, you know, then you've got a lot of, like, because you have so much access, some of the artists get reviews like, oh, you know, last time I saw them, they did this. And, you know, and then like, so you're getting individual reviews of people that attend your Mm. concerts at scale and people start believing them. So you have to make sure that you're delivering great showmanship. So all of a sudden your your music quality can go down. And then you go through all of this and rather than people using just music to fill gaps once they're doing something, people are now listening to podcasts (laughs) and audiobooks. So education has also taken some of their airtime. You put all that together, one industry that would benefit from someone was probably less conscientious and more neurotic or more, I guess, neurotic. Um, You just can't compete, so it doesn't work. Yeah, and... Look at someone like In Excess, which is one of the biggest Australian success stories. I think they did 180 days a year. They were doing gigs at the Reezy Workers Club and up in Byron Bay yeah. at the RSL. And for someone who's highly creative and made great music, still has to be conscientious to be able to get around the Absolutely. country and do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, this gets to my next point then. Say so if I am an individual, sit down, do my test, and it comes out that I am low conscientious, high, high neuroticism, mm. can you actually change a big five? That's a, it's an interesting question. Um, and absolutely, it's kind of the easiest way to think about it, um, because you can put focused effort on how you understand yourself in that fashion. You can either increase or decrease your levels depending on what you want to do. Mm. And we've seen that tangibly in this company, and we're measuring it now because we want the data for how we grow to be a thousand-person company to know how we can get someone who joins at this point. But we know we need to get them to this point to be super successful. So to Tom's point. You can't compete. You could be incredibly intelligent, but you're not going to get anywhere if we can't get your conscientiousness and your extroversion up a little bit or your openness experience up a little bit. We know you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. So we can't just get rid of you. It's not about just trying to find the people that already have those traits because you'll lose other aspects like aptitude and experience. Mm. So it's about finding the right people and then being able to focus and grow them. Yeah, I want, like I want to really clearly define this. Mm. There, are, there are two ways that you can change the test result. You can just do the test result and change it. So oh, you, you can fake your test. You can you can fake your test, and I want to I want to make that sort of like obvious. Like you could go through and go, huh? This is what a conscientious person would say. You mm. got to be quite fucking intellectual to know that the pattern of questioning that's right yeah. will result in having. But you can do it, and I want to make that obvious. Um, and that is a how do I say uh, a restriction of these types of tests. But the level of intellect and awareness that someone has to have to curate, you know, 400 questions against a liable, you know, you know, a five-factor metric is going to be pretty hard to do. And then even after and three months in the workplace, it's going to be pretty obvious. That yeah, like I think yeah. you, you can see it. One of the things is, um, is interesting is that it's also a self-perception, right? Mm. So what I like to think, the skeptical but optimistic version of me 
is that most people will, if their self-perception that this is happening, I, I'd like to think there's not many delusional people. So I would like to think that that their self-perception is accurate. So if if you've got the awareness enough to do a psychometric test, you're trying to understand, or if you're not mandated to do it, but you're trying to understand who you are. So if you've made a change in A to B, there's probably a quite high level of probability if you were able to improve, you know, let's say your conscientiousness from 60 to 90 or whatever it is, with a high sort of level of fidelity that that person is, it's probably, they've probably changed. Um, because the, I would say the average person is going to struggle to game it in a way that would really boost their results that much. Mm. Two, um, it's a self-perception. And if you're already aware enough to do the test and you've worked on it, then if you self-perceptive that you've increased your conscientiousness, even if it isn't as high as its result, the idea that you're working on your conscientiousness and you're proud, it's going to validate and it's going to help you get more conscientious anyway. Yeah. So... There, people can come back with a whole bunch of, and you see it in, in the, a lot of the questioning and the bias against the big five factor model by other academics and professors. But the, the simple point is this. It doesn't put you in buckets, allows you to do your own self-assessment mm. based off the common things that make up the brain. Now, neuroscience could change everything that sits in the big five. Mm. I don't think it will though. I think it might enhance it. Um, and I, I think it would just, tell you where you got that trait from yeah and Not like actually and there you know well, your point like they've been doing this since 1985 and since then everyone's been trying to disprove it and been able to no, it. and we're complete amateurs you know we're not yeah um psychologists and you know the idea as we talk over this series is to talk through a whole bunch of psychological concepts in everyday terms but my, my simple sort of point on, on the testing model is people go well you know maybe they just gained the test because they moved 30 points i go okay well is their productivity improved? Like, have they produced a better workload? Yeah, and the answer is, well, yeah, they have. When was the last bit... time they argued with you about the so, point? So, yeah, like, yeah. Then that's when we take it to agreeableness or yeah, eroticism. Yeah. So, like, you know, well, you know, the eroticism has increased. I'm like, has their absenteeism gone down? Have you found that they're more orderly in their um, approach to work? Like, like, do they look physically more confident and together? They're probably neuroses probably go down. Other than that, oh, they're probably a sociopath and they're pretending the whole thing. <laughs> but the, what, what I, what I think is really interesting is that if people say that you can't move it, you're just gaming the test. There, there are a number of things to say that, no, that's not true. It's not true because the test is effectively a self-perception. It's very hard to game a self-perception. Um, and not that many, like not everyone's delusional. Get that out of your brain. Generally people go, oh, someone's delusional. Well, when you pull apart, when you, you have that conversation, it's you haven't clearly articulated your intent. You don't know how to communicate or they could just be having a bad day and no one to listen to you. Like people jump super to conclusions and diagnose people. That person's a loser. Well, that's like a serious mental health problem. And yeah, like, people could gain the test, but I think when we've done it within our internal company, you see that most people, while they might have drastic changes in one area or another after a period of time, you generally are the same. And we map it against that radar model that shows you where it sits. And the shape of that radar seems pretty yeah, similar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the ratios, if you like, mm. of the different five stay the same, but you might increase them. Yeah. I think it's important to be effective in the workplace that it's really just about using it as a means to drive the outcome. So when we think about it from recruitment, we're not saying you don't have this, so go away. It's to see that before going into the interview to then make an assessment on whether we think we can get you to the level you need to be to be successful. 
And that's how people should think about it as well. Like it gives you kind of something you didn't know before and help you understand how you can be a better employee. I think you can only, it only works though once people realize that it helps them be competitive. Yeah. So it's like, uh, so if you did it for the majority of people, they would just go, oh yeah, thanks, that's cute. But no one looks at it and goes, hmm. Oh, or they'll go, oh, now I understand a little bit about myself. I don't think there's many people that go, now that I understand a little bit about myself, I should do this to focus on these things mm. in order to have this effect or win. And win is any effect that they deem necessary. But I think they're like, if I think about all the people that, we're, that, that, that we test, you can see in the feedback how people, like the majority of people say, this is great, I now know more about myself. And then you see a, a second layer of conversation where people go, oh, great. This is going to allow me to do X and validates my hypothesis that I can do X. That's different. That's a whole different person. I don't think that sample was big though. Mm. No, I agree. So moving on, what we're going to do next is look to build out a big five for some successful people. And the idea being, let's look at people that most people across the world would understand who they are, have read probably a lot about, and look at what the traits are that make them successful using this big five model. So who we're going to look at today is Elon Musk. And I know that both of you have done a bit of research and reading about Elon Musk. What's some of the interesting things you, you found about Elon? I like Elon Musk. You don't really like Elon Musk. I like Elon Musk. I like Elon I don't know. <laughs> I'm a bit... I like the audaciousness of Elon Musk. That's why I've always liked him. I don't know how good he is as a leader or what he's like as a family man, but well, I like one of the, the things ambition. I, what, mm. That's probably not really answering your question, but no. should we talk about Elon Musk for a second? Well, I find, one of the things that I find really interesting is that I used to do read a lot about Steve Jobs. And then like I worked out when whilst reading the biography and versus the things he was saying versus the things he was doing were incorrect. It was like, treat like do something this way and then his actions were all the other way and it's like he's just saying it to keep people like the whole audience happy but he's just going to do these other things anyway because mm. he so, knows what's he knows what's going to work yeah well that sort of really pissed me off because i was like this person has been able to build this so therefore what they're saying is true because what have they got to lose they're saying it now that you know the company is nearly like a trillion dollar company what mm. why wouldn't you say what really worked um and the sheer factor is you know some of the biggest things are missing right out of jobs biography like any 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 real correlation to bill campbell yeah i find is, that interesting as is well. missing out of jobs book. so who's yeah. bill campbell so like bill know, campbell was the coach that the, sat on the board basically. like he's the only yeah. guy that wanted to keep jobs but he is hands down one of the best people coaches i've ever seen so if you think about human resource like human resource this guy's the way that he talks about Steve Jobs in his book, Trillion Dollar Coach, is somewhat different, although it's not lengthy, to how mm. he's perceived in the book. Well, like you look at the Walter, uh, is it Isaacson? Isaacson, yeah. yeah. Mm. Like the book is pretty part of, like it's pretty bipartisan. It shows both sides. But like it doesn't get into any detail on why he started changing his practices. And if you watch the text against his practices, the different things. I don't think people realize it was deliberate. Yeah, that's like a thought out deliberate well that, so this gets so, to my so point yeah, about bring it back really to musk, yeah. musk this is yeah. my point about musk so when i started looking at these guys i'm like what the fuck like what game are they playing 
Um, and what we found was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I think we found, when I, when I say what we found, I think what I found, was that it's hard to judge Musk's personality by his engagement as a media voice. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a very interesting personality by that voice alone. It's also hard to judge that personality um, against his history, which is another unique part about him, where he came from, what he went through, and what he's still going through, uh, and his actions. Like, here's a few things that are really insane. Like, all right, you've been bullied in South Africa, you've had an okay upbringing, (laughs) you then come across and you pretty much work a uh, hundred hours a week with your brother to set up this company, right? You then set this company up and make a lot of money. Which company is this? Uh, well, it's effectively PayPal, but it was integrated with Teal and their company and it all came together. So I don't know which which was the name of his originally, if it was PayPal or not. So this was before he was at PayPal. He had his own payments company That's and right. then him and Teal got together to Yeah, they sort of PayPal. worked out they were doing the same thing across the road from each other and, and sort of nutted it out. But my, my big thing is like, his actions are right now that Well, I actually just want to get to space. And I think if we don't get to space, then the world will look internally. Like that's a really complex idea. And the second thing I found really complex is when he got interviewed about how all the astronauts were fucking attacking him. Yeah, and he almost basically cried on And he, he was dead set, hands down emotional. And it yep. wasn't the person that you see it wasn't gripping on. people up in the press <laughs> and gripping. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the aggressive personality you see of someone that's disagreeable going, no, grow up. It was hands down, I've been building a huge plan for 30 years and people that I thought understood what they did and the, the complex idea behind it that space exploration and adventure is the unique part that drove the economic growth. So if you think about the British Empire and the European colonies, they effectively lifted the world above poverty over the course of a number of hundreds of years by the, the thirst of adventure to go beyond their island, right? At the end of the day, we've become a more connected world that's been able to lift everything up and people up by doing that. So, and it drove a lot of positive relationships, right? The competing in the game of adventure to find new colonies, so to speak, and new lands drove a whole change in technology and a whole change in it's kind of like the moonshot project right correct yeah so i don't know like i i'm really really confused when it comes to musk because the optimistic visionary in me says that musk is probably disagreeable but more less not as disagreeable as everyone thinks mm. because to run two companies at once one doing electric cars in an environment where everyone's stabbing you because they don't want to lose their money and one to launch a space company and do what you've done at the same time, you have to be sort of a great... Like well, let's, you, wait, well, let's, you, let's break it down because I reckon... You, well, we're going we're to get into each of these. So let's, let's kick off with agreeableness. We're going we're gonna to put a number on each of this. So, so I would say... I would say... You tell me if you think I'm wrong. I would say he but has, I guess he has the, super low... The point I'm trying to make really simply is, is he the visionary founder that's worked out he uses media to game his share price. Well, yeah, I, I think that's obvious. I think well, of course well I don't know if it's obvious. <laughs> yeah. 
like or is he got a high level of neuroticism right and this is one of the questions we can go through the numbers and he's got a high level of neuroticism because his vision's so bold and everyone keeps punching him even though he's been successful mm. and like i what i'm saying is is the chip on his shoulder getting bigger from having such a huge vision and people still giving him shit and i i think that's a valid question like is his neuroticism increasing and you know there's a few reasons to say that one he's not a chair yeah that's right he got removed as the chair like there are things that like he wouldn't want to get removed as a chair like i wouldn't want to, if your vision is that big good luck now you've got a, now you've got a grand like you've got a, you've got a parent yeah, that's yeah. looking after you and you've already run companies that are, and you're already a billionaire. Like imagine a billionaire when you, you report to a chairman. Like you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Like <laughs> the, 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 the chair is actually XFL Telstra. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> the, the, the big thing that I so want to say though is chair. I think the question we need to get to after we go through the numbers is, is he a, a visionary person and he's playing the media to, you know, a, found, a great founder companies are the only ones that are surviving on the stock market to success because they know how to build a following in their own media presence to combat against clickbait, right? They're quite smart about it. It's a really good strategy to see. Or is the chip on his shoulder getting bigger? And is he becoming more disagreeable and more neurotic? Um, well, let's kick off with agreeableness then. Well, yeah, I'd like, I don't know. I, well, so you, I mean, I agree with you. I think he is yes, be he's more disagreeable than he's agreeable. But I don't think he's like I zero he's, disagreeable. I reckon at all. he's like one hundred percent. There's two types of leaders that can do what he's doing. Mm. One is you are hundred percent disagreeable. Like you, you are one percent agreeable, right? Or one to five. Actually, no, you'd be a criminal. You, yeah, you'd be like he has to be like two to ten. I was gonna say eleven. Like, two to yeah, ten. Like, like he's he's in two to ten where everyone is significantly worried about disappointing him. So I would say so. The traits of agreeableness are trust, morality, um, altruism. Um, cooperation, uh, modesty, and sympathy. Like I would say, he has zero sympathy, but he has super high morality. Hmm. I. My problem is, I don't think he's just going to space to help himself. No, I think the vision is so bold, people can't even equate. Well, how the it's idea help is so humanity. complex that if humanity does not explore things, we kill each other. Hmm. That's the idea. Like that's what he keeps saying. He's basically saying climate change is real. It's too far gone. I'm going to solve that problem. Well, I don't know. I don't even know if that's like, you know, I think that's a pretty bold statement. But the, the, the point is, the simple idea is that humanity can't stagnate. One of the ways that we can ensure humanity doesn't stagnate is send everyone on exploration well, missions. Would you agree that's a very engineering way to look at it? Because it's like, you know what? This problem is broken gonna build a new better one as opposed to the social solution which is let's try and motivate everybody to solve this problem together i reckon i reckon mm. i i'm 100 optimist on this i think they were smart enough to build a finance company mm. not knowing anything about finance and caring about physics like you told me like these if you're gonna all right let's sit let's we can relate this back to agreements SpaceX, can't afford a chief engineer. So I'm just going to become the chief engineer. Yeah. Does that sound like someone that was really interested in building a fintech company? <laughs> or does that sound like someone that's always been interested in building rockets? And yeah. I'm actually now in the seat. So fuck it. I've got, you know, but I'm going to build the rocket. Also, people don't realize often that he didn't actually found Tesla. No. There was two other founders mm -hmm. and he was the chair. He came on as one of their first investors, mm -hmm. put in about six million bucks. Yeah, and good. then the CEO wasn't doing good enough jobs. So he took over yeah. himself. So is that a trait of someone who's disagreeable? Absolutely. Is that a trait of someone who's just a control freak? 
I still I, I for, this is how I look at it. I think we agree though. We think he's sort of like low range agreeableness. Well, I, it comes back to your point about morality, right? How the idea is too complex. Mm. Like the dude's smart enough to sell a flamethrower where it sits calls it not a flamethrower to get it through customs. Mm. So if you don't think that he created a fintech company to take advantage of a boom and then sold it to do the things that he wanted to do, I don't think you're in the game. Mm. So if you think about that and you think about morality, I think he does have high... So the real question is, does he rule with an iron fist or let's take the lessons that we've learned. There's no way that you can keep and attract top talent Mm -hmm. at a certain level of your company unless you're more agreeable than disagreeable as an executive. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we know. One of the things they keep saying, they often say about Musk is that he's very hard to gain the trust of, but once you do... I just reckon he's super conscientious. I reckon he's like super, super conscientious. I reckon he's like 99% conscientious. Across all six of the... But I don't... Let's let's nail the agreeableness then. What's the number? Well, the, the, the real question is, if you're a billionaire, can you be more disagreeable in how you run companies? The answer is yes. Of course you can. But... And let's, I would say he's more disagreeable to the market than he is probably to his company. No, no, no. Let's just fuck the market off because I reckon, you know, when we think about it. But the second bit I sort of want to talk about is um, why would you work 100 hours a week then mm-hmm. if you were in such a good financial position and could just sit? Like, I don't know. There's something about this. And I, and I think he has a high conscientiousness level. But we're gonna get, yeah, we'll get to that. Agree with us. Let's no, they're completely linked. It's, you can't just split them, Luke. We get into it. Let's no, agree on a number. No, no. You, you're misunderstanding the argument here. You can't just... You can't separate it because it's going to change their persona, right? So you have to work out that, all right, he has to be disagreeable because he doesn't want the ways to have him, but you can't run that many companies at once. Mm. Um, put yourself in that much financial strife and be a disagreeable prick to the people that work for you. Now, you don't see a lot of people giving a lot of positive employee reviews about Elon Musk publicly because I do think he just cuts people that aren't good enough. Um, but you also don't see a lot of negative about how they hate working for SpaceX or I was going to say, you just generally don't see a lot of reviews at all. So you don't, you don't see anything, which mm. sort of customs to the point. They're probably just too busy to yeah. think about that shit. Yeah. So for me, I reckon he's probably sitting around 20% agreeableness, oh, wow. and I reckon he's probably more, dis- more agreeable than people realize, but he is just super, super conscientious, and I think that's attributed to a simple fact that... Um, how do I put this really clearly? He's put too much at risk to be a disagreeable prick. If you were running that many companies at once that had that bold vision and you know that the vision has to be bold to get people to work as hard, there is no way that you cannot be at a level where you're super disagreeable. Like, and the, here's, here's the point. The dude sleeps in the factory in front of everyone mm. uh, and someone that's super disagreeable generally has a high correlation of ego wouldn't do something like that i'm above you mm. i'm you know if, especially in that seat like I, i'm just talking about in that seat with that position of power he wouldn't do that so i reckon he's probably sitting around 20 to 35 percent agreeableness You're creeping uh, up yeah, yeah. like I, I sort of i think he sits there i don't yeah, i think yeah, he sits yeah. in that bracket. what do you think what do you think yeah like? I, I reckon 20 is probably about right like i think he's more disagreeable than agreeable but he's definitely agreeable mm. and people need to realize that the difference between someone that's 10 percent agreeable and 20 percent in how they act is actually significant huge like mm. like huge so don't think you have to be 80 to be like yeah it's huge. Thing, would we all would we all agree then 
like on conscientiousness, he's basically oh, maxed out. I, I think he's incredibly well, conscientious. I think he has to be. Yeah, but like, and just to finalize a group point, he provides all the paints for free to everyone to look at mm. to build their own technology. Mm. Like, so he's it's not, not really breaking. He's not building the, an empire. He's not really breaking the rules in a malicious way. So I don't think that could be an agreement. Well, that would be the altruism. That would be the altruism point. Super disagreeable people break the rules. Mm. Like they're gonna be like, "Fuck this! We're gonna go to the top. We're not gonna run out. We're gonna we're gonna build a little hierarchy ourselves." So well, that uh, conscientious is easy. It's like ninety nine percent. So like, one thing I'll say about conscientious, no, though, right? Is how orderly do you reckon he is? I don't reckon he's orderly. I reckon he's got super high self-efficacy. Yeah. He's super dutiful. He's achievement striving. He's got self-discipline. Well, what's my orderly? Mine's like 80, 87%. Your orderliness is horrible. Well, oh, I don't care for it. <laughs> that's what I mean. But yeah, so that's... It's interesting to think about. Like He's conscientious, but I reckon... Yeah, but he's an engineer. Yeah. So I think his orderliness would be higher than mine. He's definitely going to be in the 90s, but just the sheer work... Uh, so if I work... Yeah, okay. He's, yeah. He's still, he still has to be. You still have to be somewhat orderly. Well, to be yeah. an engineer, you have to be more. But you just game it, right? Because you're so conscientious, you use the other traits to get around it. So, he, you know, he wears the same thing to work every day. It's the Steve Jobs argument. Because he's not orderly enough to care about having to put all the other stuff together. Well, what you, what's orderly then? So you just game it it all. What's orderly then? You can structure your life in a kind of like system in a in a. In a but who uh, says my life's not structured? Well, yeah, I think so, your life is structured. But like, things happen for me, mm. and people would assume that. Orderliness is, oh, you've got that thing on the floor. Or, Tom, you're not wearing shoes at the moment. <laughs> you've got, you've got, dogs, yeah. you've got <laughs> flip-flops. Um, and the point is, though, is that in my test, I'm not as orderly. Mm. Okay. Maybe I'm proud of it. Maybe I'm proud that you don't understand my systems. I, I guess oh, yeah, my, my I guess the, the point is, is I still reckon he's uh, super high 90s. Yeah, yeah, or low. High he's, like, he's between mid to high 90s just because of yep. the, what he's like, doing. Give it 97%. 100%. Yeah. Openness to experience. <laughs> he uh, wants to go to Mars, man. Mm. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say really open. I would say he's incredibly open. Yeah, I, I don't... Would you say he's liberal? Well, I'm 97% open. I think he's definitely high 90s. Mm. In his ideals, yeah. Mm. Um, I would say... Well, I think most people are liberal. You look, you, look, you look at the factors that make it up. Imagination. Mm. Like, it's clear. He's building tunnels underneath the roads because the roads are too clogged. Adventurousness. We're going to go to Mars. Yeah, but I don't know why he's building the roads, the tunnels. That's a whole other thing. Oh, I think he's just really annoyed. Just seems like a, yeah, just seems like a well, tunnel. Well, <laughs> it just takes him too long to get to work. You reckon? <laughs> yeah, well, so I think that's just how. Uh, literally yeah, a Simpsons stone cutter thing. Well, this is taking me X amount to leave, so I'm just not going to leave my office today. That's the sort of way this dude thinks, and people think that's disorderly when really it's pretty orderly. So, like, so we'll hit him high. Open his experience then. Well, so how high? Well, one ninety-seven. Yeah. No, you're not that high. No, I am. I'm pretty high. <laughs> no, I'm pretty high. Like, it's one of my high ones. Uh, you're... Uh, I think I'm right. Like you are. Sorry, you're right. 97. Yeah, so, like, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you think about it, you know, I'm bad in the military, but I still knew I would be bad and join anyway. That's pretty open because you had to cop a lot of abuse. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that he's in the 90s for, for openness to experience. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't agree. think I he's probably the most open person in the world, though. No, I don't think so. Well, we call it. I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't say he's in your top sort of five percent. Like I wouldn't. Well, he's not like Gandhi. Ninety-three. Yeah, he's still. That's emotionality. Engineer. Well, he's still an engineer. Mm. Call it ninety-three. That's true. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I don't feel yeah. picked up on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm just saying they think of systems. They think so, structurally. Yeah, that's right. Whereas I don't think in systems. One of the things I find that makes me think he's really open is he went to Russia to buy 
ICBM missiles yeah. to make his rockets. Yeah. It's like, that's already a rocket. Just take the nuke out of it. <laughs> it's not designed to come back. That's a, yeah, that's a very engineering approach. Well, like, like, well, they tried. It has 86% of the functionality of a normal rocket. Well, and then yeah. he went down the line, and this is how I know he's over to experience. Well, why don't I just build my own rocket? And then why don't I just be the engineer to build it? I've only been a software engineer, but what does it matter? All right, we've got two to go. Sun's coming up. Got to get through it. <laughs> extroversion. Uh, I'd say he's introverted. I'd say he's low extroversion. Um, I'd say he's low in cheerfulness. Low in. I don't know. Have you? How many conversations have you watched him have? Well, a few. It'd be hard to be low in extroversion and work on the line that he tries to do. No, well, that's sort of like that's is him, that just him being more extroverted at work, or do you think he's naturally more extroverted? I, I, don't, I think he's just him. I don't think he has. He can't. He's not that person that has two different profiles. I think it'd be almost impossible to be like. How could you keep two lives together when you're already running four? Um, uh, I wouldn't say he's cheerful and friendly, well, but you, I'd say he's assertive he, and well, gregarious. Does he, get, does he get energy off people? I don't know. I'd say no, based well, off the book. Other than his brother, he doesn't seem to have like, um, there doesn't seem to be these other people that he talks about. Yeah. Which is interesting. Which might lower down, like his, his extroversion might be significantly lower. Like extroverted people value relationships. Would you say Obama is extroverted? I don't want to get into business of analyzing politicians. <laughs> okay. And the reason I don't want to get into business of analyzing politicians, I don't think they fucking are anything. Like I don't. It was the first thing that came to mind where I was like, I haven't seen anything ever where Musk is doing something outside of his businesses. So he's not really associating with lots of other groups. In, in, in saying that though, that's why it's going to be almost impossible to separate work Musk from real life yeah. Musk because it's all one and the same. When you work 20 hours a day. No, I well, I guess I what I'm suggesting is if he was super highly extroverted, maybe he would be doing those things anyway. I don't know. I'm at low. I think he's lower. I think he'd be below 50% extroversion. You might be right. What do you want to call it? 48. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know how to answer that question. It's hard. All right. well, I don't know the guy. You only see what we want. Well, he doesn't talk about anyone. Yeah. This is... All his employees. All the company. Extroverts don't do that. Because... People liking them in the company is how they get energy. Mm. So, like, if you notice that Jobs always talks about the company, this is where we're going with Apple. Like, he, d- he doesn't do that. Yeah, back off. Okay. So, the last one of the big five, neuroticism. Where do we think Musk sits on that level? I don't know. It's going to be the most controversial, doesn't it? Well... You know, did you watch his Joe Rogan podcast? Where he smoked the spliff. Is that that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then he smoked the spliff and he said something really smart after that everyone fucking then watched, which is around AI. But um, I don't know. Like I, It brings back to my point that I was saying earlier, which is how many punches has Musk had and has it driven a bigger chip on his shoulder, which is... Um, which, you know, so is his neuroticism increasing because more people are attacking him? I reckon it probably is. 
I reckon though he's sort of always had a chip though, and it's driven him. So I reckon he was probably being quite neurotic. Um, it's a. Do you think it's a different kind of challenge? So as you get more mature, as the business gets more mature and you achieve more things, you can be more neurotic because you don't have to slog through all of the detail, but you've got to deal with all the punches. I I couldn't do it. Like you're talking about the guy is being successful in changing these things. Anything about it. This whole oil fucking uh, <coughs> price drop and everything, it's going to put him even bigger, further into place, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and then, you know, the thing that would really annoy me is that he then gets individually hit. <laughs> but then he does stuff around, um, you know, announcements that he shouldn't do, things that he knows they're going to lead to. And I can't work out if it's him being neurotic or a part of a master plan. Because his whole thing has sort of been strategically mastered. Like... There's a, there's a conversation that you know Musk has come back in time and is an evil genius and is trying to save us from our future selves. The, <laughs> the the fight the thing that I find really interesting about Musk is that you know you've got to be pretty diabolical to fly to Soviet ex Soviet Russia and ask for an ICBM. But so that means that his strategic and abstract reasoning is at a much higher level than the average person. Now so he's highly he's highly creative, but he's not just highly creative in say engineering. He's highly creative in playing the series of games that makes up the series of championships. And what I think is, if you are that aware and you've worked that hard for that long, is the chip on his shoulder deepening as he goes? Because I think that would mean that his neuroticism score is probably increasing than what it started out as. And he was probably a little bit neurotic to start out as because you talk about he talks about it in his interviews where he was bullied. Da, 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 it's an interesting idea because I think most people would have thought it went the other way. You would get less neurotic as you had to deal with more stuff. But that's an interesting point. Well, like, fuck it. Like, I'm here. Mm. We're doing all these things. Mm. Like, <laughs> like well, it's insane. Let, let, me, let me ask a question then. So that Cybertruck... Launch I think they it's did. just misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, that Cybertruck launch they did. Yeah. And then they threw the hammer at the window and it smashed. Yeah. yeah when he was talking about how it was indestructible. <laughs> when he walked off stage after that, what do you think went down? Did he lose his shit? Did he get angry? Did, he, did he dwell on it for days? Well, do you did he, he get angry at everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon he's probably like under under 50% neuroticism, but above 30 Imagine if you were misunderstood for that long, but were still that successful. With an ideal of a high. What about like young Elon Musk? I reckon he would have been a neurotic kid. Yeah, he's definitely neurotic. That's what I'm saying. So I reckon he started off around 20% to 30%. Yeah. And it's getting worse. Interesting. And I think it's getting worse because... I can see the logic. How could you have that high level of abstract reasoning? How could you maintain your vision through that many punches? Mm. And then how could you be punched that many times? And not just by, like, experts aren't punching you and providing your opinion. Everyone is punching. Like, there's, and then the people that like, that, that like his ideas, like, oh, I wouldn't work for him. Well, you don't know what he's like. Well, he's openly said that at the age of 14, he had an existential crisis. Yeah. And then read the Hitchhiker's insane. Guide to the Galaxy that set him on his path of saving humanity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd say I, I agree with you. I think I he's, reckon he's like I think he's probably I reckon he's thirty to thirty five percent. And I reckon one of the most the interesting things about Musk is that how does that reflect in things that have happened? 
I, and I think that's been interesting. Removed, been removed as the chair. Yeah. Um, uh, family breakdown due to high work levels. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to comment on it, but it's, it's, it's an example. Um, well, that, this, this family life, though, he's, he's talked about that a bit. Like how he, he lost the child mm. pretty early when it was ten week, less than 10 yeah. weeks old and how that affected him. I would have thought... And the example you gave earlier about when he got upset around the astronauts getting angry at him. Oh, How's dude, that neurotic. in your I think, I, think he's, I think he's neurotic, but I think he's getting worse. Like, I could not see a world... Like, you've even got... He even did the video where he saw... He said something five years and then Bezos said the exact word five yeah, years yeah. later with the exact same image. Like, he's even got billionaires copying him. What do you even... How do you even appreciate something like that? I would have thought general people watching this would have thought he was extremely neurotic. So it's probably a point to realize that if he's at thirty well, percent neuroticism, correct? If he's at thirty percent neuroticism. To me, that's extreme. I agree. I think it's extreme as well. It's just the point I'm making. Yeah. So even at even at eighteen percent, you can't do the things that you can do at. 30%. I think it's extreme at thirty for a founder to be that neurotic in growth companies. I think it would be hard to find someone who's like, that's really neurotic. He in probably a needs company. to be around fifteen yeah, percent in yeah, a growth yeah. company, but he's not. And my 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 biggest um, is people call it becoming unhinged, right? Mm. Like. How long could you be at the top and maintain your positive ideals of this is what I'm trying to do for all of you? And I think he, he actually is. Like I, I think he's done enough actions to, to like, well, we, they're just going to keep building the robots. So I'm going to build something that goes in your brain so you can work faster than them. Like, so fucking do things like that. And, and then, you know, does all these things and risks all these businesses um, and you know one key example is he could have split the money but he didn't he took the bet on both companies at the same time which was SpaceX and I, I think it could have been um, SolarCity or Tesla like he split mm. all the money you know he's obviously doing it for a reason outside of financial return but how long is someone going to sit at the top with all that power consistently have to explain themselves and consistently try to do it for you people have limits like I, I, I like you have to keep explaining to everyone that you're trying to do these things and they're just trying to unravel you um, all the time. And I, well, I, in my well, mind, it comes back to the point that it know. doesn't put people in buckets. So the fact that he's going to struggle because of his neuroticism and the amount that the market's punching him is supported by the fact that he's so highly conscientious. Mm, so he'll go through that, like, it will pull him out. Like, but yeah. also he's low in extroversion, so it's not going to happen quick, but his drive will pull him out. Well, yeah, it's the it's the old uh, adage, right? Which is, um, we are this company. We do not agree with the way you're doing things. Mm. We are going to beat you, and that's I would say the brain. Like we, like you can keep saying as much as you want. I'm going to beat you, and that's probably what'll what'll see it through. But I I think like, I think what's 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 very wor worrying, and it's not, um, you know, the dude's super successful and way more successful than. Uh, I think I could ever appreciate um, the sheer fact that you're getting punched that much, right? It's out of control. Like and I, getting like no support at, at all. Like no the space industry, you can't launch any of your rockets from here because that's going to, you know, you're going to be a competitor in our marketplace. Oh, fine. I'll just go build my own island to do it. Like, yeah. I, and I think what maybe he's been smart keeping his own media channel open. <coughs> So where, do, so where do we land? Yeah, well, we think he's we think he's around what? Well, what I think like if somewhere I, around twenty percent. Well, I'm pretty direct. I reckon he's, I reckon he's around early thirties. Like I, yeah. I reckon he's more neurotic than um. I think he's probably around you know thirty four, 
and I think it has a. I think it could go up. I um. Yeah. I, so based on our very, assessment, very what we haven't even really talked about archetypes at all. Well, this, this is what I was going to ask you to introduce it. We'll talk about the with you mean archetypes. So we use um, we use three archetypes based on the results from the big five to say that you're either a creative person, a doer person, or uh, a translator. And that is a reflection of what types of environments you're more likely to succeed and be happy in. So typically, for example, creative people are more happy in startup environments. Um, and you know, Tom will talk a bit more about it, but that's what we use the archetypes for. So having looked at all those results um, and not seeing the numbers from what we said, I'm guessing he's sitting somewhere between creator and translator. I think you're super creative, man. The only thing I say is the only thing that's limiting the creativity bit is the is the extroversion. Mm. But well, I think the neuroticism, the, openness, and conscientiousness. The archetypes work for people in teams; they don't work for CEOs and founders. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a valid point. So, if you think about the team, the companies that have got a growth companies, but they're in such a trajectory of zero to one, so to speak, that they're almost. And they're not as well. This is what I find really interesting. He's using industries that had already been predefined and made them more profitable. Yeah, automobile. But, but the vision that he's using them for is really disruptive. Mm. And then the way he's going about the execution of the business model is disruptive. Like if you own the batteries and you own the way that the batteries are powered you own the car industry and he learned that off dealing with the fossil fuels. And the fuels. whole idea of that is that you can go further in space because the batteries are better and proven. Correct. Like like it's <laughs> so the level of abstract reasoning and um, uh, second order, third order, fifth order, fourth order, like what, the ability of this guy to think yeah. is insane. Um, My gut says he would be a creator. He's definitely yeah. a creative I, person. Yeah, I think everyone would think that the creative, based on the results, the high conscientiousness. And he's the best kind of creative because he is highly conscientious. Mm. Yeah. One thing I've never understood though with um, these founding like CEOs and, and whatever that are doing these huge tech advances, right? You never ever hear about the guys that do the design and like the, all the work. Like there's no... Well, it's him. Well, mm, so... In the yeah. early days, apparently he was the one doing well, it. Well, he was, he was doing, he was doing he that. He still calls himself the chief product officer. Uh, well... I think he is doing a lot of it. Like Founders I, love that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think there is the the whole that the the founder pieces all the market pieces together and, and drives the teams to result in it. Yeah. But like um, the really good guys that is it the Johnny is it his name Johnny that worked for Steve Johnny Ives. Yeah. Like that dude pretty much took the idea that Steve was doing and made I think he's the only designer product guy that's actually celebrated. Trip correct. Mm. But, you know, every day jobs went down with him into his little fucking safe room that they built for their design team and <laughs> told him to change it every day. But what I find really interesting is it's interesting to put a title of creative on them mm. and people will take creative as the end product, which is, uh, you know, like when you watch the Jobs movie or any of them, it's all about phone, pocket. What is That's not what the creative thing that they did was. The creative thing that, that Musk is doing is building a whole new energy ecosystem mm. that he can own and that people can own too and making people compete in it. And the second thing he's doing is, well, the business model of just firing a rocket once is stupid. Like he's being creative in the business model, let, but they're known for being creative in the end product. And I think that's a really, really key difference when you think about our archetypes and how they're applied to, say, CEOs with this type of 
Allure. So everyone thinks that they're this creative person that builds rocket A. What's really innovative about Marx is he worked out that rockets were built really poorly and that they were really inexpensive, like they were really expensive and they were fired once. So my idea is... Which is funny because at the time the ecosystem needed to drive an economy. So you had to kind of almost make... Yeah, like they weren't going to listen to him or you wouldn't be able to get started. So, you know, and maybe he learned that along the way and the idea of building your own rocket company drove that result. But it's the same thing that came with media, right? What Apple is really renowned for and where Steve Jobs made all of his correct investments was media. And what do I mean by that? Um, providing music mm. at scale into your hands, but the ability for musicians to earn money in a different revenue stream drove the uptake. And the second thing that he did really well is he started doing movies and realized that movies are like shipment dates and using animations to do movies, which led to a whole bunch of, yeah, I think they are, I mm. think they are the largest shareholder in Disney. You know, that was, a, if you've ever, understood how he did that that was insane he pretty much told them to give them he didn't own anything and he got more shares and it really really pissed off. i think bob eager i think it's the ceo whoever Probably, it was yeah yeah but the, the point i'm trying to make is when you think creative at that level there you might not think they're creative because they're running a company but the way that these guys have gone to market with their business models and they've disrupted it to make you know trying to make profitable avenues of approach and reset markets because there's nothing wrong with profit if you've heard it i think that's where the creativity sits in and that's why well i think you get, never they never talk about it clearly like no i think it'll get more interesting as you start analyzing more people i think naturally a lot of people would look at musk and say yes he's creative but would people say the same thing about jeff bezos or would they say the same thing about these less visionary type individuals mm-hmm. are they still creative types yeah, I don't reckon Bezos is creative. I don't think yeah. he's either. Yeah. I don't reckon his business model is creative. I think so I, your point is that they don't actually know what they mean when they say he's creative. Yeah. Well, well I think is you're saying, is you're saying you're yeah. saying creative. When you think of archetypes, it's down to a team and project level. Think about what his project is. His project is to adjust the market economy in these specific areas. So funding and capital is allocated to bigger visions. So where he's been really, really creative in, and this is what must fucking annoy him. Like I if you've done something that much and still listed the companies and still delivered mm. and still, you know, you know, and I would say in the last two quarters, I think they've really sort of delivered like that uh, Tesla in particular, like it's sort of been wavering left and right, but I think he's been able to get it under control. Um, uh, the, the point I, I'm trying to make is imagine if you were doing all of these things and no one realizes what you're really doing is you're really creative and changing the whole thing. And you know, how do you know that? Well, why the hell would you provide your painters on how everything's built to the market? Mm. What the hell would you run two companies at once as the chief executive officer and work seven days a week? Um, because one, you believe it's going to work, but two, there's also a market there, right? So and in his you, mind, they're probably just one company. Well, it's in his yeah, correct. <laughs> I, a public company is a way of bring of bringing positive cash flow to, to yeah. business, and that therefore I have to be a public company. And that that's <laughs> probably mind blowing. But the, the the sheer fact is that the guy is super abstract. But where he's, I think his success is is and you can see it in something like the not a flamethrower project don't buy this this is stupid <laughs> the guy's a marketer man like and that's really different when you think of him as you know everyone thinks of him as an engineer that builds product yeah. he's a marketer yeah, yeah. like don't buy a flamethrower we even wrote don't buy a flamethrower on it and we made sure it wasn't a flamethrower and we sold 20 million in like i think it's twenty thousand at uh, a set rate and they raised 20 million within six hours or something ridiculous of telling people not to buy something uh, i just to me, that's just growth hacking, but insane growth hacking. Where we landed, agreeableness, 
Conscientiousness, 97%. Openness to experience, 93%. Specific. Extroversion, 48%. And neuroticism, 34%. This guy's aptitude's got to be like... Off the scale. Uh, We're we're not even going to try it. But that's a a point I want to make. Remember, this is not taking into account his aptitude. This is taking into account his personality traits. Um, He probably could have built the rocket by himself. The guy read read the the whole encyclopedia when he was nine. What do you mean? Just read it. Just like <laughs> ran out of books to them? read, so he read the entire encyclopedia, every edition of it. Where did he get them from? <laughs> Don't know. His dad was an engineer. Right. Mom was a model. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I find it really interesting um, that I, I think that the few sort of key lessons, uh, the things that I've, I think have come out of this is one, um, I think people are becoming more interested in psychology. And there are a number of tools that you can really do to take it from understanding yourself to improving yourself. Uh, and I think in this particular case, if you think about Musk, he's like, and you know, I'm just another armchair commentator that's never done anything as successful. Um, he will need to, or already is working on ways to lower his eroticism. Um, and he'll have to, in order to deliver on his vision. And I think that's really important. Like you are gonna have to proactively cut that down because i don't think that the pain on him will, mm. like will stop for another 20 years but as you become more successful and more rich it's easy to say fuck everyone else and you're gonna do it my way i don't reckon it is man i don't reckon it is you don't reckon oh wait at a personal Not, level no and uh, this is sort of on musk like i for someone like him i don't reckon it is i reckon it's gonna come to a point where they're still not gonna get it and he's just gonna leave Fuck yeah. Probably to Mars. Well, I don't think it's about, like, it, it's not money. What? I think he's learned that lesson. But my, my big one is, I if I don't think as he gets more successful, he's going to get less attacked. Mm. You're way too disruptive to get to, to not get attacked. And it's the same thing. You know, that's the point, and, I, and I'm referring about today because it's sort of similar. Same thing about Jobs. If you watch his early stuff, everything's about education. It was about bringing computers in at a lower level so people could use computers for education. The IBM didn't really want to do that at the price point that was competitive or apply a learning experience that could be adopted by um, a kid, a child in an effective way. That's what he did. It was a pretty big thing to do. Uh, and it's not like, well, you know, do we have social media? We have all these other problems. We've got, well, we're just really highlighting now via data the problems that humans have never addressed. Um, but the idea of providing technology to the average person in order to improve education, I think he well and truly achieved it. But have you ever heard anyone talk about it? The answer is mm. no. Mm. Um, and and the dude's still an asshole. There are still <laughs> there are still significant blogs on Steve Jobs, like uh, Ed comments on Steve Jobs helped me do all these things in my career. Oh, but he was a delusional asshole. <laughs> like he helped me like that to me. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen with Marx. Yeah. Um, which means I don't think they're driven by that. I think they're they're literally driven by, I want to do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I feel like he's already happen. got his own rocket that will get him to Mars. And he knows that if he finally can't pull this off, he can go to Mars and live long enough to put a sign up that says, told you, so that every third year in that the cycle, sense. Mars comes no. close enough to Earth that the media pick up on it <laughs> and it just lives forever as a legacy. <laughs> well, I think he's, he, the line he said was, he's like, I want to die on Mars, just hope they're not on impact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so logical. 
We'll get up uh, that information around what we believe his big five results are and get it out online. And next week we'll cover off someone else who thinks. See if we can get Elon Musk to comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Lutter, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Till next week. Thank you.